Well, if that doesn't touch your heart, then there's something wrong with your heart. Wow. That'll make you want to say wow backwards. <laughs> but God does things like that. But I, I agree with Chris. It's, it's different when something like that happens to you and, and you're trying to articulate what has happened. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, I can't even tell you what chocolate tastes like. I just know that it's good, right? <laughs> and so that's, that's the impossibility of... of uh, trying to stand up here and, and preach the Word of God and describe a, a, of just how good God is uh, with, with all the limitations that we have as, as, as humans, but yet, you know, God overcomes our, our weaknesses and our inabilities, and, you know, he's, he's far greater than we could ever describe. But I am honored to be here. I appreciate uh, Pastor Clay for the opportunity to share. Um, I hope every one of you had a wonderful, wonderful Valentine's Day. You know, I told my wife, I said, you know what, we, we have been happily married for almost 24 years. She's happy, and I'm married. <laughs> and so, don't laugh too hard, Jeremy, you, you, you might get caught, you know. But anyway, I, I made up for it. I said, you know what, I said, uh, I said, you are so beautiful, I wish I was cross-eyed. That way I could see you twice. Listen, you guys need to be writing that down. This is some good stuff. I'm going to help you out. I'm, trying, I'm going to help you out. And then here's one last one. I said, listen, you, you, have, you have to work for UPS. I said, you have to. I, and she said, why do you say that? I said, because you're the total package. <laughs> Somebody go, woo! So when you get my age, you can say stuff like that and get away with it, Okay. I'm not at the point to where I don't have a filter and, you know, just say whatever comes to your mind. I'm looking forward to that time, but I'm getting closer, and uh, I'm able to be a lot more free with, with what I want to say. So if I say something stupid, you just say, you know what, Donald, he's almost 50 years old. That's hard to believe. I know I look good for 50, but uh, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But anyways, I'm so honored to be here and to share the Word of God with you. If you want to turn into your Bibles to the book of John, um, Pastor Clay started the new sermon series on the seven I am's of Jesus. And I know last week he talked about the bread of life. And this week we're going to talk about Jesus being the, the, the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. And so, you know, this was a very challenging message to prepare for because there's so much that you want to try to share with people and, and to, to try to condense it down into a, a few simple uh, points and statements to uh, describe what Jesus meant and, and how that uh, reveals part of who he is to us and what that means to us to try to condense it down into something that is uh, uh, palatable, something that we can and take and apply to our lives and, and, and walk away with it, put it into practice. That's, that's a challenging thing. But uh, I'll do my best to, to share with you what I feel like the Lord is wanting to say to us this morning. And I want to read uh, John chapter 8, verse number 12, one verse here, and then I want to turn to John chapter 1. I want to read a couple of verses there. John chapter 8, starting at verse 12, and if you're there, say amen. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. I want to point out one word in this particular verse, and it's the word the. I am the light of the world. That word the is very important because it is speaking of uh, exclusively. 
Jesus is exclusively the light of the world. There's a lot of artificial lights. These lights in this building, they put off artificial light. But Jesus is not a light. He is the light. And without him, there is no light, period. It's exclusive. He's saying, I am exclusively the light of the world. And then he goes on to say, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John chapter 1, we'll start reading at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment in your presence with each other and with you. And I pray that you would use this message, whatever said today, to bring revelation in our hearts about you that we've never experienced before. Lord, I pray that you would blow our minds and change our hearts and speak to us personally and powerfully of what it means for you to be the light of the world and how we're supposed to live our lives in light of that truth. So, Lord, we pray your blessing upon these moments together. Do something deep and permanent in our hearts. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I am the light of the world. Now, the word light is found all throughout Scripture. From Genesis to the book of Revelation, uh, it's found in almost every single book. As a matter of fact, it's found 272 times in Scripture. And the first time the word light is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God said that the light was good. I heard a translation called the Gen Z translation that says, In the beginning God said, Let there be light, and it was lit. <laughs> Evidently, that is a legit translation. It's pretty funny. I have no clue what it's saying, but God said, Let there be light, and it was lit. Now, light has been a part of the, the, the prophetic declarations of the birth of, of, of Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, the Isaiah the prophet when he was prophesying about the birth of the Messiah, he said in Isaiah 9, 2, he said, Those that have walked in darkness have seen a great light. When the angel appeared to the shepherds who were in the field, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord shone round about them. It, it, the light was shining at, at the birth of Jesus. And then Jesus himself makes the statement, he says, I am the light of the world. But I want you to know, Jesus is not just the light of the world, he's the light of heaven. He is the eternal light. You know, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in Revelation chapter 21. It's speaking of heaven. And it says, And I saw that there was no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And it says, In that city... He said, there be no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God shall illuminate it, and the Lamb is its light, 
and there shall be no night there. You know, I think about those verses sometimes. I was thinking about that while we were singing. You know, can you imagine what that day will be like? Can you imagine what your eyes will see when you open them in light of eternity? When you see Him and your faith is no more and, and, and you're able to behold Him. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus having fire in His eyes and His head is white as wool and His voice sounds like uh, rushing water. And you know, you, you are going to see Him for who He is. I mean, I, it, with excitement in my heart, I, I sense that, that that day is coming so much sooner than what we realize. You know, I've been preaching Jesus has been coming back for a long time. And I think all of us probably have heard that many, many, many times over. And we become desensitized to that almost. We don't live with urgency. We don't live with focus. We don't live with intentionality. We just kind of get into a, a religious routine, a religious ritual. And, and, and we, don't, we don't really live in light of eternity that one day we'll stand before God. One day we'll see God for, for who He is. One day we'll give account of ourselves before God and we're going to be able, be able to behold the one who died for us who forgave our sins and who we're going to spend the rest of eternity with. every day of my life I want to live with that in mind every day of my life I want to live so that when I stand before God I won't have to hang my head and say you know what you wasted your grace on me I want to use everything that I've got with everything that I've been given with all the time that I have left to honor him with my life and to shine the light on the light of the world and his name is Jesus Jesus said I am the light of the world now there's three things that I I want to point out really there's about 300 or 3,000 things that could be said but I'm merciful I'm feeling merciful today I'm just going to give you three things three things about what it speaks about concerning Jesus when he says, I am the light of the world. Now, the first thing that I want to mention is the consistency of the light. It says in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. Now, when I say and I'm talking about the consistency of the light, what I'm saying is, and what I mean by that, is that He is constant. He is unchanging. He's not one way one day and a different way the next day. He's steadfast. He's dependable. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. So when we're talking about the consistency of the light, what I'm saying is when you are in an airplane, I fly a lot, I travel a lot, no matter how bad the weather is here on uh, on the ground, the sun is always shining when you get above the clouds. Listen, it doesn't matter what kind of storm that's going on. It doesn't matter if there's a tornado or a hurricane or a flood or whatever's happening. I promise you the sun is always shining above the clouds. You may not be able to see it, but I promise you it is there. Why? Because it's constant. It's consistent. It's always going to be there. And that's just like Jesus. Listen, Jesus, there's times when God is silent but there's never a time when God is absent listen Jesus himself said I will never leave you nor forsake you but I will go with you even to the ends of the earth so when Jesus is saying I am the light of the world he's saying I will always be constant in your life 
I will always be there for you anytime you need me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will go with you even to the ends of the earth. Even when you're in the midst of trouble, I will be faithful to be there. And if I brought you to it, I'm going to be faithful to bring you through it. He's constant. He's consistent. Now, not only does it mean constant or consistent, it also means integrity. Now listen to this. When we talk about integrity, we're talking actually about wholeness. It was funny that uh, Clay was talking about wholeness and how God wants to bring us to a place of wholeness. And when we're talking about integrity, we're talking about how that your words, your thoughts, and your actions are inseparable. God is who He says He is, and God will do what He says He will do. Why? Because He's constant. He's consistent. He's faithful. He's dependable. He's trustworthy. You can count on Him. He may not come when you want Him to, but He'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. He is. I found that to be true, haven't you? I don't know if you know this or not, but God's been so faithful to you that He has brought you through 100% of the most difficult days of your life. Think about that. He has a 100% success rate of getting you through what you're going through. And some of you need to be reminded of that because sometimes we allow what we're going through to distract us and to lose focus on the one constant in our life, and His name is Jesus, who is the light of the world. He's faithful. The Bible says that when we are faithless, He remains faithful. Why? Because He cannot deny Himself. His name is called faithful and true. He's constant. He's consistent. He's faithful. He's true. God says these words about himself. He says, I am the Lord and I do not change. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that, that you can trust God even when you can't trace God? You know, when you can't see God's hand, you can always trust God's heart. You know, God is good. He loves you. He cares about you. He's involved. He's active in your life. Even, even when you can't see Him at work, He's still working behind the scenes. Why? Because He is intimately involved with you. He was intimately involved when you were born. He put a lot of thought and intent into creating you. There's over 8 billion people on the planet, and not one of them have the same fingerprint as you have. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are unique. And what makes you unique is also what makes you powerful. And so God is intimately involved in your life. And He says, I am the Lord and I do not change. The Hebrew writer said it like this in Hebrews 13.8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1 verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from the Father of lights, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What does that mean? It means that, you know what? He's dependable. He's going to show up. He doesn't change like the weather changes. He doesn't change like the culture changes. He doesn't change like the circumstance changes. Aren't you glad in an ever-changing world we have an unchanging God? He's consistent. And some of you, you need to remember just how faithful He's been to you. You know, if you're going through a present battle, you know, the greatest motivation when you're going through a present battle 
is to focus on past victories. You know, when David was facing Goliath, and this was the biggest challenge that he had had to face up to this point in his life, you know what he did? He visited his memory. He knew that he had a history with God. And he began to think about past victories. And he says these words. He said, the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear would deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. Some of you, if you're in the middle of a battle right now, if you feel like that you may not be able to make it through, if you feel like that you're going to be overcome, that you're overwhelmed, that, that you're not going to make it out of this particular moment in time, you need to rehearse in your mind all of the past victories that God has brought in your life because this is probably not the first time that you felt that way. Yeah. Amen. Amen? This is what God says about himself. I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, there's no variables. And there's no shadow of turning. And he says, you know what? I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm constant. And God has been successful in getting you through everything that you have been through up to this point. You know, if God brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. You know, David said it like this, God knows my frame that I am but dust. In other words, God knows your load limit. If you can take it, you can make it. And God will use these moments in your life to bring something beautiful out of that because the Bible says that he makes everything beautiful in his time, even the worst of circumstances. Now, here's the second thing. The second thing that I believe God is speaking to us, revealing to us through the words of Jesus, is the purity of the light. It says, in him, verses 4 and 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, what I mean when I'm talking about the purity of the light is that light can never be contaminated. Light can never be contaminated. It can never be corrupt. It can never be defiled. It doesn't matter what passes through it. It doesn't matter what falls upon it. Light exposes, and it can never be exposed. Listen, that's why Jesus could touch sinners, but sin could never touch Jesus. Jesus was sinless. He was spotless. He was perfect. He was pure. He was undefiled. He, he could not be contaminated. That's the purity that I'm talking about. You know, in the color spectrum, we have seven different colors that make up the color, color spectrum. And the number seven actually means it's the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. And the spectrum actually speaks of Jesus, that he's perfect, that he's holy, that he's sinless, that he's spotless. Only Jesus could look at other people and say, which of you can convict me of sin? Only a sinless person can make that statement. Jesus made that statement. Now, in our day and time, there's a lot of people that are really confused. They would call themselves born again, but yet... They don't believe in the sinless Savior. Did you know 41% of adults that claim to be born again actually believe that Jesus committed sin while he was on earth? 41%, 52% of teenagers who claim to be born again believe that Jesus committed sin while he was on earth. 
And listen, if you believe that Jesus committed sin while he was on earth, then that Jesus cannot save you. You are still lost and in your sin. Only a sinless sacrifice could pay the price and the penalty for the sins of mankind. Jesus was sinless. He was born of a virgin. His father was God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That he was incarnate, he was God in the flesh, that he walked in a sinless, spotless manner. He was pure and holy. And when Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, he's saying, you know what? Purity is part of my nature. It's who I am. And God says, to the pure, he reveals himself as pure. Now, purity is something that we don't talk a whole lot about. But listen, we need to ask ourselves, what is our motivation for purity? Purity is an important part of the Christian life. God wants us to live pure and holy lives. The Bible says, the pure at heart, they shall see God. Now, a lot of people think in this focus on seeing God when they get to heaven, but that's not what that verse says. It doesn't say those that have pure hearts will see God in heaven. It says those that have pure hearts shall see God. So I believe the more purity that we walk in, the greater revelation of who Jesus is we're able to receive. Purity is important for us being able to see God. Now some of you, you can't see God at work in your life because there is something that's contaminated your vision. There's something in your life that is defiling you, that's keeping you, that's blocking out the sun. Listen, the sun is always shining. Nothing can put the sun out. Nothing can put the light out. But there are some things that can actually block the light and keep us from seeing it. And those, one of those things is sin. And so, have you ever seen a bride on her wedding day? Have you ever seen how intense that moment is? If you've not seen one, listen, it is a sight to behold. As a matter of fact, you better get out of the way. If, if, if you're getting married, you're not even supposed to look at your bride before she walks down the aisle. Why? Because she'll kill you. <laughs> now, she is a woman on a mission. I mean, she wants to make sure that her, her makeup is perfect, that her hair is perfect, that her dress is flawless. Now, what is her motivation for walking in that kind of perfection? Is it because she's afraid of the person she's getting ready to marry? No. Her motivation to be perfect, spotless, beautiful, to be Something to behold is because she wants her husband, once he lays eyes on her as she walks down the aisle, to be overwhelmed with the beauty that he sees. Her motivation's love. And when we're talking about purity, our motivation should not be because we're afraid of God, that God's out to get us. You know, when I first got saved, you know, people told me how much God loved me. God loves you. He don't care what you did. He don't care, you know, what you've done. He doesn't care about your past. And then after I got saved, they said he was out to get me. I'm sitting there thinking, well, does he love me or is he out to get me? Which one is it? I, I struggled. But I realized it is both. But it's not that he's out to get me. It's that he wants me forever and forever and forever. But purity is an important part of the nature of God. And it's also an important part 
of the way that we're supposed to live our life. Now, here's the third thing that I want to share with you. Number three is the power of the light. Now, let me say this before I explain what I mean by the power of the light. Purity always precedes power. Purity always precedes power. Why? Because God only entrusts His power to the pure. The early church was established in purity. Therefore, the Holy Spirit could release the power of God without limitation. They were consecrated. They were set apart. There was nothing that was uh, putting a demand on their life greater than their relationship with God Himself. He was number one. He was the top priority. He was in first place. And so because that they lived so singularly, so focused on who He was, they were set apart, sanctified, and God used them and He put His power upon them because they made purity a higher priority than power. Listen, everybody wants to walk in power, but very few people want to walk in purity. I know this sounds like an old-fashioned message, but it's all right. Tastes like medicine, but it'll make you better. Purity is an important... Purity always precedes power. Now, John chapter 1, verse 5 says, And the light shall shine in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, what I mean when I'm talking about the power of the light is that it cannot be defeated. It cannot be overcome. It, it, it cannot be overwhelmed. It can't be overpowered. It, it can't be put out. All of history can be wrapped up into a battle between good and evil, light and darkness. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but before Satan sinned and rebelled against God in heaven and was cast down, his name was actually Lucifer. And Lucifer actually means light bearer. It means light bearer. He was, he was the most beautiful angel in heaven that he shined brightly, he was adorned with all kinds of different jewels, he was, he was the most beautiful, angelic being ever created until sin was found in him. But once he rebelled against God and sin was found in him, he was cast down. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Listen, that's the power of God. Listen, you've seen those pictures maybe before of Jesus arm wrestling the devil like they're in some kind of a power struggle. That is not the way that it works here. Listen, Jesus is uncreated. Satan is created. Yes, there is a devil, but make no mistake about it, he's God's devil. I would say God has used the devil more than any other created being that he has ever created to accomplish his purpose. Listen, the devil has been a loser for so long. Don't you dare talk in such a way that makes him think like he's winning. You, you can't become and get into agreement with, the, with, with Satan who is the accuser of the brethren when he's been a loser from the beginning. There's no power struggle there. You know, Satan has power, but it is only clothed and veiled in deception. The only power he has is a power that is given to him. And when you give Satan power, obviously it has an effect on your life. That's why the Bible says that we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. In order to walk in light, you have to be intentional. You don't fall in the light. 
You know, you don't walk in the light just because you come to church or you go through next steps or, you know, you, you, you serve in, in a ministry or, or you tithe. Walking in the light is walking with Jesus. Now, does that describe your relationship with Him? Are you walking with Jesus? The Bible says if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, all defilement. The light exposes but the light can never be exposed. And so when we're talking about the power of God, we're talking about that it cannot be defeated. It, it cannot be overcome. It can't be overpowered. It, it can't be put out. And so Lucifer, who at one time was called Light Bear, he was a light bear. After he sinned, his name was changed. He would no longer be known or called by the name Lucifer again. He would be called Satan. And Satan actually means father of darkness in other words he thrives and his domain is ruled in darkness now let me ask you a question are there areas in your life where you're walking in darkness see i believe that god sent me here this morning to shine the light to expose the darkness in your life not to condemn you not to berate you, not to put you down, not to make you feel bad, but he's exposing the darkness so that you can bring the darkness in your life into the light because once darkness is exposed to light, it dispels all darkness. Did you know 90% of deliverance is wrapped up in repentance? And you know what repentance is? Repentance is simply bringing the darkness of our lives into the light of who Jesus is. You know, it's not big words and fancy prayers, although we do need to pray and we need to go through declarations and all those things. But basically, it's saying, you know what? I have some dark areas in my life. And when you take those dark areas and say, yes, Lord, you know what? I've been watching pornography. Yes, Lord, I've been saying things that I shouldn't say. Yes, I've been sexually immoral. Yes, I've not been faithful to, to, to my wife. I've not been faithful to my... Yes, there's areas in my life that I have embraced darkness. But your light is exposing that darkness. And God only exposes darkness so that He can expel darkness see purity exposes darkness the power expels darkness purity shines the light on darkness the power dispels the darkness purity illuminates power eliminates purity exposes power delivers and so when we're talking about Jesus being the light of the world, yes, it's part of his, of his nature, but it's also to be part of your experience in your relationship with him. Because the truth be known, none of us are as free as Jesus died on the cross for us to be. And Jesus wants you to experience freedom in your life that you've never experienced before. But some of you have struggled in whatever area of darkness that you have in your life so long that you've embraced that part of you as part of your identity. 
you've just accepted that this is the way that you are, that things are always going to be this way, nothing's ever going to change. You take one step forward, then you take two steps back. And so you've embraced that as part of your identity. And God wants to expel or expose that false identity so that you can walk into the true identity that He has created for you as a child of God. Amen. Do you believe that? that that's the power of the light so it's important for us to know the consistency of the light god's faithful he's dependable he's steadfast you can rely on him you can trust him he's trustworthy then we need to think about the purity of the light that it can't be contaminated that it can't be defiled it can't be corrupted and not only is God that way, God wants us to live our lives in that same way. He said, be holy for I am holy. So holiness is important for us to walk in because the Bible says that without holiness, pursue peace and holiness for without it no man shall see God. Can you believe the Bible says such a thing? Pursue peace and holiness, for without it no man shall see God. Purity is something that we see in who Jesus is as light of the world, but purity is something that Jesus wants to see in us as an extension of who he is. Because Jesus, when he was on earth, he was the light of the world, right? But is Jesus still on earth? Where's Jesus at? It's okay. You, you know. You, he's at the right hand of the Father, right? But then the Bible says that we are the body of Christ. We are the hands and the feet, the mouth, the ears, the heart, whatever. Whatever part of the body. We, we are the body of Christ. The only body that Jesus has left here on earth are his people. And so he makes another statement. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll read one verse here. Verse 14. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Right? In Matthew 5, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. The world has no light in it without the church shining that light because Jesus, as his body was buried, resurrected, and carried into heaven, the only body he has left is the body of Christ that I'm looking at today. The question is, is your light shining? You know, the truth is, it talks about John the Baptist. It said uh, that John was a burning and shining lamp. Did you know you were created to burn? You were created, as a matter of fact, you will burn for eternity somewhere. I can promise you, burning for God will definitely be a lot better than burning for a what's-his-name. But you were created to burn. You were created to shine. You are created. The Bible says that you are the light of the world. 
a city set upon a hill which cannot be hid. It speaks that this is who we are, who we're supposed to be, and what we're supposed to reflect while we're here on earth. Now, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, I think they'll put that up on the screen. There's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament, and I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. There's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament that symbolizes the church in the New Testament. Let's read these verses, verse 1. It says, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room, there were lampstands or candlestick and a table with the consecrated bread or the showbread. This was called the holy place. Now behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. Now, without going into a big in-depth explanation of the tabernacle, I want to talk about two specific parts of it, the holy place and the most holy place. Now, in the holy place, there were pieces of furniture that were there that uh, had a specific function. But they also have a, a, a prophetic parallel to, to our lives today when we're living in the New Testament. You know, no longer do we go to the temple of God. We are the temple of God. You're the temple of God, right? The Spirit of God lives in you. And so the candlestick represents the church. Now, the candlestick, it's not like the long wax candles that we have uh, in our homes, you know, the single candles that we just, you know, light and they just kind of melt down. You know, the candles that, that it's talking about in the Old Testament, and I think they maybe have the picture here, they have long channels that have wicks at the end of those. And those specific channels that, that lead into the wick, those are actually filled with oil. Now, unless the oil is in the candles, and unless the oil is ignited, the candles gave no light. You got that? So it wasn't enough just to have the piece of furniture sitting there looking beautiful, plated in gold and, and all of those things, because they were made according to the pattern that God gave Moses on the mountain. They were made exactly the way that God intended for them to be made, but they would not function and operate properly without oil and fire. Okay? It can look good. It's just like a lot of church people. They really look good. Outwardly, they look like they have it together. Churches have great church services. We have a lot of these good things. Outwardly, we appear like we've got it going on and we've got it all together. But the truth is, a lot of that is just image. There's no oil, there's no fire in there, and there's no light that's shining. So these were filled with oil. And at the end, they had little strips of wick. And unless they were filled with oil and those wicks were ignited, they gave no light to the holy place. Why? Because the candlestick was the only source of light in the tabernacle. There was no other artificial light. There was nothing else in the tabernacle that could create light. This was specifically designed for the purpose of lighting up the holy place. But it could not function properly and if it didn't have oil and fire. And if it does not have oil and fire, it cannot burn and it cannot show light. Therefore, when it is empty, there is no light at all. 
that is a great example of our own life. It doesn't matter how much we come to church. It doesn't matter how many times we say amen. It doesn't matter how religious that we are. It doesn't matter how much we're active for God. If there's no oil, there's no fire, there's no light. And when there's no light, all we have is darkness. And I'm convinced that's why society is in the shape and the condition that is in today because we have not taken our rightful place as the light of the world. If the church is not shining the light, then the world will remain in constant darkness. And some people, their lights shine bright. Some of their lights are dim. Some of their lights are flickering. Some of them, their lights have been put out. It's simply because... They have no oil. They have no fire. Now, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. Now, the candlestick, which represents the church, the candlestick by itself is incapable of producing light without oil and fire. The same is true for you and I. The same is true for the church. The church can only give light when it is filled with oil and then set on fire by God. You know, apart from the candlestick, there was no light source in the holy place. And apart from the church, there was no light in the world. And just as the candlestick can only give light when it's filled and set on fire, the church will only be able to give light when it is filled and it's set on fire. Let me ask you a question. Are you filled and on fire for God? If not, maybe that's what the problem is with our family. Maybe that's the problem with our culture. Maybe that's the problem with our community. See, we're not just the light of the world. We're supposed to be a city sitting on a hill that cannot be hid. There's no light shining we can still be a city on the hill. And we're supposed to be the city of hope. It ought to be our motivation to live up that name. Why? Because he who has hope has power. But we can't give light, and we certainly can't give hope. If the lights went out. Has your light went out? The good news is. There's oil in the house. There's fire in the house. And God will use you. Just as much as he would use anybody else. And some of you it's hard for you to believe that. Because you feel maybe inadequate or you, you feel like you don't, you don't know the Bible good enough or you can't quote Scripture and you're not good at, at speaking. Listen, God's not asking you to do any of those things. All God's asking you to do is burn and shine. You see, the candlestick only had one purpose. That was to illuminate or provide light in the holy place 
But it was set specifically beside another element that we read about, and it was called the bread of consecration or the table of showbread. Or, as Clay preached last week, the bread of life. The sole purpose of the candlestick is to shine light on the showbread. And the only purpose that you and I have, primarily above everything else, as the candlestick of God, is to shine the light on Jesus, who is the bread of life. You don't have to convince anybody. You don't have to convict anybody. You don't have to condemn anybody. You don't have to pull their hair. You don't have to get them in the headlock. All you've got to do is sit there and burn and shine. Why? Because the world is getting darker and darker and darker. And the Bible said in the last days, the world will enter into a, a, such a level of darkness that it will be gross darkness. It says, but in the darkest point in human history, the light will shine the brightest, and those that are in darkness will be drawn to that light. Therefore, arise, shine for your light has come. Yes, the world is getting worse and worse. And the good news is, it's going to get worser. It is. It's going to continue to fall apart. And as a matter of fact, it's really kind of escalating and intensifying and it is accelerating faster and faster and faster. I don't think anybody would deny the fact that this is a very, very dark moment in human history. But in the greatest darkness, your light will shine the brightest. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he turns it around and says, you are the light of the world. The question is, are you shining? Stand with me. Now, if you were to read the rest of chapter 8, you know, Jesus kind of, almost like he kind of veers off talking about being the light of the world and he's talking back and forth to the Pharisees and to other folks. And what you don't realize until you read it is there are people listening while other people are talking. See, when you're shining the light, what you don't realize is there's other people watching you that you don't realize are watching you. You see, your example is your greatest means of persuasion. One living example is greater than a thousand sermons ever preached. The Bible says you are living epistles known and read among all men. When you're living the life, when you're walking in consistency, you're walking in purity, you're walking in power, you will be the light of the world. And there will be people 
just like in John chapter 8, that may not be gauging in conversation with you, but they hear what you're saying, but more importantly, they see how you're living. And look at what it says here in verse 30. In verse 24, Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am He, literally that I am the light of the world, you will die in your sins. Verse 30, listen to this. As He was saying these things, many believed. I mean, that's incredible. It doesn't say the people that He was talking to believed. Because the Pharisees who had the greatest knowledge of the Bible, actually turned out to be the greatest enemies of Jesus. Religious people will always be Jesus haters far more than those that are lost and destitute, broken. But evidently, there were people that were around Jesus that were hearing what He was saying. And there's people in your life that listen to the way you talk to other people, how you treat other people, the example that you live, that you're consistent, that your word and your words are inseparable, that you're the real deal. And they're looking for something real to believe in. And when you can say to them, you know what? Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the light of the world. And when you are a reflection of Jesus, the light of the world, other people will begin to believe. And maybe you're here this morning, you know, somewhere in this message, you've started to believe. Kind of like what Chris was sharing. He said, you know what, I knew that I needed to come, and I knew that I needed, we needed to start going back, and, you know, I knew I needed to you know, to start getting things right. Maybe that's you, and you just so happened to come today, and what happened in John chapter 8, verse 30, is actually happened to you right now. If that's you, I just want you to say, yes, Lord, I believe. See, what you believe determines how you behave. So it's important that we believe rightly. So let me ask you, is God calling you? No, I can say this. God is calling you to live a more consistent life. Why? Not, not so that your performance can cause you to feel like God loves you more. Being more consistent will cause other people to start taking more notice of your life. Because there's so much inconsistency in the world. And listen, if there's ever a time for us to get things together, to get things right, it's right now. Is God, God calling you to live a more consistent life? Is He calling you to a deeper level of purity? To a higher standard? Or do you need oil and fire? This morning, they're going to sing. And we're going to open up this altar. And if God's been speaking to you this morning, you're saying, you know what, I, I, need, 
I need more consistency in reading the Word. I need more consistent prayer life. I need to, to be more consistent with the way that I live my life, the way that I talk to other people, the way that I treat my wife, the way that I treat my family. I need to be more consistent. Or maybe there's darkness in your life. There's areas in your life where you're not pure. You've got impurities. And the purity of the light is exposing that. But exposing it won't change anything. Exposing it just lets you know that it's there. You need the power of God to expel it. And only you can do that for yourself. You have to say, you know what, God? Here's the darkness that exists inside of me. And say, you know what? I'm bringing it into the light. And as you bring that into the light, the power of God will begin to expel it, eliminate it. But if your candlestick is empty, there's no oil, there's no fire. The Bible says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we know that you are the light of the world. But Lord, you're not just the light of the world, you're the light of heaven, and you've called us to be the light of the world. But Lord, we need to live more consistent lives. We need to walk in a greater measure of purity. Lord, we need to be filled with oil and set on fire. And so, Lord, we want to come and bring our hearts and lives to you. And, Lord, we will be the wood, and we ask you to be the fire. We'll be the fuel if you'll provide the fire. So, Lord, here we are. We come today, and we ask you to fill us with oil. Set us on fire in Jesus' name. Amen. This altar's open. If you need to come for prayer, if your light is dim, if you have no oil, if you've lost your fire, right here's where you get it back. In Jesus' name.